uh, we're in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be beginning in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. If you have your uh, Bible and you're turning there, as you're, as you're turning, I just wanted to say that, you know, last week, Pastor Mark preached through chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and we got an awesome message. Uh, really, I thought it was extremely challenging and practical, uh, but it was talking about the relationships within the body of Christ, right? Uh, to put our others above ourselves, to count others as more significant than ourselves, um, to be humble and unified um, as believers in Jesus. And, I, you know, that's totally countercultural. Um, but it's something that should mark believers in Jesus. We should be known uh, by our love for one another, by the way that we serve people, that we outdo one another in showing honor, um, that we care for people, you know. Um, I had an old pastor that used to say, Christians simply being kind would be revolutionary. (laughs) I I thought that was funny, but honestly, it's kind of true sometimes. You know, kindness is the fruit of the Spirit. But the outside world looking in might think that the fruit of the Spirit must be anger or division or self-righteousness or a critical spirit. The world often calls Christians just a bunch of hypocrites. You guys knew it more than the first service. Apparently the first service never heard that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I honestly don't believe the reason for that is primarily uh, because the divorce rate inside the church is the same as it is outside. I don't think it's because the world gets tripped up by seeing a bunch of Christians that still sin and struggle. I really don't think that's it. Um, What I think is that the world sees Christians as hypocrites because we lack humility. And we exalt ourselves instead of exalting God's grace. They see pride and judgment. They see division and discord. They see quarreling and bickering among ourselves. Those who are supposed to call themselves, you know, the church, and they don't want anything to do with it. As believers in Christ, we should, we should be growing to be more like Jesus in our conduct, in our morals, and all of those things. But really, we also need to be growing in a spirit of humility and gratitude, knowing we're nothing apart from Jesus. We don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that God's grace is the only reason we've been granted eternal life. We never want to lose sight of that. I think the world would have a hard time calling hypocrites to a group of believers that are completely overwhelmed with gratitude for the goodness of God in their lives. The only good thing in us is God. <clears throat> and I think that at some time, at some point in the Christian journey, you know, uh, if you've been serving God 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, I don't know. Um, at some point, I think it becomes easy for us to maybe think that we have earned our spot in the family of God in some way, shape, or form. Uh, that, that maybe it was grace, but now, you know, I've got something to contribute here. Uh, you feel like you, you've earned your keep through the way that you've lived And I think it's easy to fall into that because we kind of get into this routine of things and we're like, okay, yeah, I mean, like, no wonder God loves me, right? (laughs) You know, uh, I'm living this thing out. Um, But, you know, we want to be completely dependent on God's continued grace and faithfulness. If God's grace ran out today, that'd be the day that we'd be disqualified from his family because God is holy and he's perfect and First John chapter 1, verse 5, it says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And sin is darkness, so if there's any sin in his, it can't be in his presence. So sin wedges a gap between us and the Father. But Jesus, in his perfection and his righteousness, reconciled us to the Father. 
And we can only receive that in faith because there's nothing we could ever add to perfection. Only Jesus could save us. Only Jesus could reconcile us to God. So as believers, we need to be you know, exuding this, this spirit of humility, realizing we're nothing apart from Jesus. You know, he, he is the one who brought us into relationship with God. So um, no matter where you're at on the journey, you know, we're still broken in our flesh. We're waiting for this mortal body to put on immortality. Uh, you know, we're to live in humility, not pride. We don't want to exalt ourselves, but our Savior. We don't want to, you know, live uh, trying, to, trying to show people the, uh, all the great achievements and our spiritual growth and journey. But we do, we do want to highlight the fact that, that we're just trophies of God's grace. So I think what's astonishing about this passage that we're about to read is that as you look at it, the example of humility that we see in Jesus is the example of humility coming from God in the flesh. Not, not a broken person like you and me, but this humility was, was shown through God. He stepped into the broken world that he created and that we messed up with our sin but he love compelled him to enter this world to, to give his life for people who were undeserving because he loved us anyway. The humility of Jesus is staggering. It, it's incredible. It's, it's glorious. It's powerful. And, and the context of the passage is for us to have the same mind that Jesus had. So, so let's dive into it. Uh, Philippians chapter two, verse five. Um, let's go ahead and read that. It says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to pray for us, and we'll jump into this word. Lord Jesus, we just ask right now that you would change the way that we think, change our, change our hearts in any way that we would exalt ourselves instead of exalting you. God, I pray that we would see you for who you are. God, I pray that we would be in awe of who you are every day. God, I pray that as we behold your glory, we'll be transformed to become more and more like you. Lord Jesus, for, for anyone in the room that doesn't know you, God, we, we're reading the gospel. We're reading what you did in this world to reconcile sinful people to yourself. And God, I just pray that you, you would touch hearts, God, that you'd help us to um, really uh, cling to this word. God, I pray that we would put your faith in you. And if even as believers, God, we, I pray that we would receive this gospel every day, God, that we would focus on what you've done because the more we focus on you, the more you shape us to be more like you. So Lord Jesus, that's our prayer today. I pray that you would uh, work powerfully in this time like only you can. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, at the t- same time, this passage is very practical it's also extremely rich, jam-packed with theological truth. The passage basically covers Christmas and Easter. Um, 
You know, it's just a few verses, but we talk about the incarnation of Jesus, the fact that he entered this world, but also the fact that he humbled himself, lived a perfect life, and went to a cross. And then the fact that God has highly exalted him. So we see so much theological truth uh, contained in this passage. Um, You know, another interesting thing about this passage is actually, uh, I was reading several different commentators have have pointed out that this passage, um, in the way that it's written in the original Greek, well, it was likely a, an early Christian hymn. So the church would come together and sing this, sing this truth over their body. And, and honestly, we, ha- we have a lot of songs that reflect that same truth, or even more like Jesus. <laughs> you came to this world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died. I shouldn't have tried to quote it if I didn't know it, but that's all right. But uh, yeah, it's anyway, but we, we sing about the gospel because it's the good news that saved us. And we never get over that as believers. We never graduate from the gospel. Uh, we, we continue, and, and in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says that uh, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. For there's uh, no distinction, um, you know, it's for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But then it says, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. So it's not just revealed so that we could have faith in Jesus, be saved, and we're covered. We're all good. We'll just do whatever we want and get to heaven someday. No, that, that same gospel is to cultivate faith in the people that are already God's children. Uh, we're to continue to grow through the gospel. So, so Paul's writing to believers, but he's telling them the gospel, right? They already know it, but he, he is challenging them in a specific way. Um, so I, I really want us to see here in verse 5 that uh, there's something we should notice about, about the context. And so uh, I'm going to actually back up to verse 3 and read verse 3 through 5. Um, it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So uh, in verse three and four, we see that, you know, that, that's what we went through last week where we were challenged to live in this way, humble, uh, putting others above ourselves, all these things. Uh, but in verse five, we see this, this hinging statement that, that connects uh, the way that we should live to the exa- supreme example we have in Christ. Um, and we're going to see that in the following verses. So as we walk through this, keep in mind that the context is that us as believers would have the same mindset Christ had in all that he did in, in, in this life, uh, in his earthly life and ministry. But something else we need to notice is that Paul doesn't just say, do what Jesus did. He tells them in verse 5 to think like Jesus thought, to have this mind or this attitude among yourselves. Um, I think that's important for us to know is that we're not just called to do what Jesus did. We're actually called into the mindset that led him to do the things that he did. Christian living becomes bondage when our outward obedience gets ahead of our inner resolve. Uh, our, if it's just outward, but we don't have the desire inwardly to live that out, then that's legalism. We're, we're putting our, ourselves to where we're trying to do the things for God, but we're not doing out of, out of a relationship with God. We're just doing it uh, to earn his favor or out of our own strength or out of the flesh. But in the spirit, we can adopt the same mindset that Jesus had and through that mindset, it'll lead us into that kind of humility and that obedience. 
Um, so we, we don't want to just do what he did. We want to think like Jesus thinks. Who wants to think the thoughts that Jesus has? You want to think like, like our Savior, like our King, uh, the one who created all things, created our minds even? Uh, he's given us access to, to the mind of Christ. We, we find that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We won't go there, but we have the mind of Christ as believers, and we're being called to, to live that out. Uh, really, um, how can we think like Jesus to walk that same humility, uh, walk in that same humility? Um, you know, like a lot of things in the Christian life, we have to learn to have what we already have. It's like, uh, you don't have to teach me how to do that. I'm pretty sure I'm covered. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, can we pull verse five up on the screen? Um, we need to, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we're told to have something that we already possess. What, what Paul's challenging these believers and us by extension to do here is for us to think in the way that Christ has enabled us to think. We have the mind of Christ. We have access to the thoughts of God for our lives, but we still have the, our old broken mind that's selfish, that, that's full, fueled by selfish ambition, by, by uh, you know, stature and, and uh, status, by, by people's opinions and all of those things. But then we have the mind of Christ, which is humble and meek. That, that puts others above himself, and we can choose to operate in that mindset. So we need to have what we have. Does that make sense? Everybody say, have what you have. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's actually a truth that we find over and over again in Scripture. I won't bore you with too many instances of it, but like Second Peter chapter 1, it says that his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own excellence and virtue, so, so we have access to, to do all, you know, to live a godly life. We, we've been equipped with everything we need for a godly life. That's what we have, but we don't always walk it out, right? That's the hard part is, is really walking it out, but we don't do that in our own strength. We do it using God's divine power uh, moving through our lives because we have the spirit of God living on the inside. So, um, you know, I think that sometimes Christians live like, uh, homeless millionaires, <laughs> or like a prodigal son, you know, sitting in a hog pen when his father has all kinds of resources back at home, food, nice house, all kinds of things. He's sitting in a hog pen. But, but I, I think that's what we do when we don't adopt the mind of Christ, when we continue to live in our old mindset, even though Jesus has enlightened us to understand things from his perspective. I was talking to my dad on the phone yesterday. I called him up, and uh, he's always got a story or an illustration for something. He's always reading uh, different things. And so it's sometimes helpful for me to just, you know, converse so I'm not just thinking in my head. I can kind of say it out loud. And so I call him up, and I, I was talking about this point, actually. And uh, he's like, yeah, that, that reminds me of a story. And so he starts telling me this story. And uh, I might not get it exactly right, but essentially there's a guy that was in Europe and uh, wanted to cross uh, overseas, come to the United States. And um, so he saved everything that he could for a ticket. And he purchased that ticket, got on the boat, but all he could have with him is a suitcase. And he filled it with cheese and crackers because he spent every last penny on the ticket. So he brought this suitcase full of cheese and crackers for a three-week uh, journey. And every day when everybody's eating you know, their meal... Um, he goes over to the corner and starts eating his cheese and crackers. You know, he's 
getting discouraged at night. He's having, he's dreaming of, you know, buffets and um, fine dining and all this stuff. And he just over and over every day, he's over in the corner by himself eating these cheese and crackers. Well, near the end of the the voyage, somebody walks over to him and says, hey, uh, I couldn't help but notice every time we all eat, you go over to that suitcase and you just eat those old crackers. Am I missing something here? Like what's going on? The guy says, you know, I, I, it's embarrassing, and I hate to admit it, but I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't have any money for the food. I could barely afford the ticket. The guy said that, you know, the, the ride is actually, it's actually all inclusive. The, the food comes with the ticket. And so this guy was eating cheese and crackers for th- almost three weeks when he had access to this buffet in front of him for every meal. And, and I think we do the same thing on a spiritual level. We have access to all that God has for us. You know, Ephesians 1, he says that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Doesn't that, does that one make anyone just be like, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) That's incredible. Like he's blessed us with every blessing in the, in the heavenly places. Um, you know, the whole first three chapter, he starts chapters, he starts um, unleashing or unveiling what that really means and what that looks like. Um, because doctrine always comes before practice. We need to know who we are and whose we are and what we have access to in Christ before we're ever called to go out and, and live for him. We do that out of his own power and strength. So anyway, uh, let's dive into verse 6 through 11. Um, if you're taking notes, we're going to divide it into two sections. Uh, the first section, we'll talk about the humility of Christ in verses 6 through 8. And the second portion we'll talk about, uh, probably not quite as long, but uh, verses 9 through 11, the exaltation of Christ. So in these verses, we're going to see the deity and the humanity of Christ. We need to look to his nature to rightly understand his humility. So let's look at verse 6 again. He says, um, I'll read verse 5 into verse 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, it says, although he was in the form of God, that word form, you know, it doesn't mean shape like we think of form, you know, uh, or, uh, but what it means really, uh, a, a good translation would be the essence or nature. So even though he has the nature and essence of God, he is God. Even though Jesus is God, um, he's eternally God. He never ceased to be God, by the way. Uh, but it says, even though that's a reality, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or in some translations, your, your translation might say uh, something to cling to. Um, he didn't count, you know, the, the privileges of heaven and the glory uh, uh, that is rightfully his as something that he would hold on to because he wanted to humble himself to reach lost humanity. And, and what's amazing about that is God is self-sufficient. Like God doesn't need us, but he loves us and he wants us. And he left the glories of heaven and the praise that was due to his name to enter into a broken world of people that a lot of people hate him. A lot of people hate it when you hear, they, they hear his name. But he entered that same world to, to die for those same people who would reject him. And uh, so we see this humility of Jesus in an amazing way where he says he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't want to hold on to those privileges of, of being God, even though he is God, 
but he robed himself and veiled himself. And we'll look at that in a second. But I just want to mention a few verses here because this is something we see throughout Scripture and is honestly an extremely important theological topic is that we understand Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. Um, I'm going to rattle these off quickly, but John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. A few verses down, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation or supreme over all creation. Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So is Jesus God? Yes. <laughs> I didn't really prep you. You're like, what do I say? Do I say? But uh, yeah, Jesus is God in the flesh. And, and it's, we're told that time and time again. And the reason this is so significant, so important, uh, we're going to cover just a few things here in just a moment about why, why, that's a, why that matters so much is that Jesus is God. Um, but there, there's a lot of people that don't believe that. And, um, you know, we, we believe that, that Jesus um, even though he, he welcomes all, he died for all, he, he wants a relationship with everybody, but we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except for through him. And he's calling us as his church to, to spread that good news to people. You know, we talked in the beginning about the, the, the judgmental spirit, the, all of those things. And, and I, I just wonder how much it breaks God's heart to look down at his kids who are supposed to be spreading the news of his goodness and his gospel, and they, they'd rather bicker online over trivial subjects. I don't know. I just think that that grieves God's heart, and uh, we're called to, uh, you know, be ministers of reconciliation uh, and, and to bring people into a knowledge of, of the gospel and of Jesus. So in verse 7, look at that with me. It says this, but um, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Good question to ask here is what did he empty himself of? If he's still God, what was he emptying? Well, that's the, the privileges and, and that are rightfully his as God. You know, the, the, I, I'm thinking too, you know, just as I was preparing this, the privileges that Jesus set aside were incomparably greater than anything we could set aside to, 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 to act like Jesus, you know? We're called to imitate what he's doing, to think the way that he thinks, to put other people above ourselves. But we're all broken people, giving preference to other broken people. But Jesus is God and eternally perfect, and he counted others as more significant than himself. And he humbled himself, and he put himself into subjection of other people, even though it cost him reputation, even though it cost him friends, and it ultimately cost him his life. He humbled himself. He gave himself freely so I think that's challenging as we look at this, this call for us to live this life of humility. Jesus has every right to have zero humility about him, right? He, he is worthy of all the praise and all the glory, but he is humble anyway. And, and, he, and, he, and he entered this world in love and in, in selflessness. But he embraced the limitations of becoming a human. 
his glory was hidden from his own creation. You know, if Jesus just came in his full glory, everyone would probably just die because he's so glorious and great. I know that might sound crazy, but if you, you know, you look at different passages in scripture, like uh, the apostle John in Revelation one, where he's worshiping in the Lord on the, worshiping in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then he uh, sees the Lord in his glory and he falls over as though he's dead. Um, or Isaiah in the temple when the glory filled in Isaiah chapter six, you know, and, and he's so in awe of who God is that all he can say is that I'm unclean. I, I'm a sinful man. I'm, I'm of a people that are, that are sinful. Before that, he was pronouncing woes and, and, and uh, warnings to different people. Then he's like, woe is me, right? Like he sees, he sees himself for who he is in light of who God is, and he is overwhelmed. And I think that um, you know, the more we see Jesus for who he is, the more awe that we'll have of him and that'll transform that we, the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view others. Looking at Jesus, we're called to do nothing from selfish ambition, but to serve as he served. The word for servant that, that's used here of Jesus is doulos, if I said that right, which means bond servant, and that means to be a slave by choice in this context a slave by choice. So Paul called himself a bond servant at the beginning of this letter that, that we're in. Um, and he went into lifelong uh, service of his own accord, of his own will, because he wanted to. He wanted to serve Jesus with his life. And, and Jesus became a bond servant. He served because he wanted to, not because he had to. No one was worthy of the service of, of Jesus, but he in humility served people and I think there's so much we could learn there. There's so much we could extrapolate from that. But, um, you know, Jesus had a different um, value system than the world. You know, we, we have a hard time doing anything that, that might hurt our reputation, that, that can make us be criticized or looked at funny or uh, put us in a different financial situation or whatever it might be, we have a different value system than the world. We want, we want status. We want to be elevated. We want people to know us. We want fame. We want glory. Uh, that's our natural uh, desire from a broken heart. Uh, but the world values, you know, all those things. But, but Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Then he says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It takes a lot of humility, you know, to, to, to really want the benefit of others above our own. It's like, it's a little easier to like, you know, when we show up on a Sunday or something, I'll serve someone, but I'm being noticed for it. <laughs> but, but what, what's my real intention? You know, that's really what, what we're getting at is what's, what's the intention behind the action of, of serving others. And, and, and it's that we count them. We actually consider that they're more significant than ourselves. That's the way that we view them. That's actually the mindset that, that Jesus had in this earth, even though he's glorious. So in verse eight, um, he says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So Jesus didn't trade out his deity for humanity. He added humanity to his deity. Absolutely God, absolutely man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
Jesus displays humility through obedience. We're, we're called to live in humility. And if we're humbling ourselves before God, then that means that his will is superior to ours. And we're going to walk in subjection to what he calls us to do. So humility breeds obedience. And that's how Jesus lived. It says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He, he allowed this mindset to drive him all the way to death, a death that he willingly gave up. He said, no man takes my life, but I give it up freely of my own accord. He did that because he loved, because he's humble, and because he cared about people. I think I could give up, you know, a position or a title or the praise of somebody so that God could be glorified and exalted or so that others could be uh, benefited even if it means that I'm not in that moment. Is my mic going out? So uh, we see that he was obedient even to the point of death and the death of the cross. We see several things in these verses. I'm going to kind of jump ahead here in my notes because I know that we won't have time if I don't. So, um, But I think that we see so clearly here in, in Jesus, this demonstrated in Gethsemane. In, in Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and, and prayed. And he brought, uh, you know, Peter and John with him. And he asked that they be praying. And uh, so he goes on and it says that his soul is, is distressed. You know, he knows what's about to happen. He knows his captors are, are lying in wait. And he knows what he's going to have to go through. He knows the suffering that's right around the corner. He knows the mocking. He knows that people are going to be set up on trial and make false accusations of him. They're going to they're gonna beat him. Uh, the, the Bible even tells us that, that he, was, he was beaten beyond recognition. He knew all of this was going to happen and that he would die on the cross. And, and here's what he said. He said, uh, it says, sorry, oh, Abba, Father, he says, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It took a lot of humility for him to say, I know all this is about to happen. I, I know that you're going to be pleased to crush sin on me. I know that you're going to turn your face away from me because I'm going to become sin for the, for the entire world. I'll take their sins upon myself and die in their place. And I know that this is all going to happen, but you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. And he was so living in such humility and obedience to the Father that he was willing to even die in our place. You know, in these verse, verses, we're reading the gospel, the good news, the person and the work of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why, why, is, why is it so important that we have a right understanding of Jesus, right? Matthew 16, he asks his disciples, uh, you know, who do, who do people say the son, uh, who do people say that I am? They give him different answers, and they said, "Well, who do you say that I am?" And, and, and Peter says that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And, and on that truth, Jesus said, "I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church right there on that confession that that Jesus is God." So our church is being built on this this truth. It's fundamental to everything that we believe. It's in the fabric of all that we believe theologically, doctrinally. We have to have this right. And let me tell you just a few quick things. I, it's going to get 
even more teachy. If it wasn't teachy enough for you yet, it is now. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, just a few quick things I want to point out why it's necessary that he's God in the flesh. Um, it's fundamental to sound doctrine. First John chapter four, verse one through three. I'm going to catch you up on Bible reading. If you haven't been reading uh, lately, I've got a few verses for us. But um, he says, the Apostle, uh, Apostle John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God and the Spirit that... Oh, sorry, sorry, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Pretty, pretty straightforward passage, you know? He doesn't say, you got to have every detail of theology and doctrine right. He just says, you know, if someone's not confessing that Jesus is God... <laughs> then you better look, maybe look out for that, you know, you know, and, and, and we can, we can be confident that if someone's preaching that Jesus is God in the flesh, we, we can be confident that this, this is the Holy Spirit uh, speaking through them because that is true. So it's fundamental to sound doctrine. Uh, the second thing I want to point out is that it's the fulfillment of the law. Galatians chapter four, verse four through five says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that the so that we might receive adoption as sons so Jesus was born under the law so that he could redeem the people that are under the curse of the law and he became a curse for us so that he could redeem us out of it but if he was just a man then he couldn't fulfill the law anyway but if he's just God then he wouldn't be under the law to fulfill it on our behalf so he had to be God and man to fulfill the requirements of the law and restore our relationship with the father. Does that make sense? I'm trying to walk quickly because I'm running out of time, but hopefully this is making sense. Uh, third thing I want to point out is he's the propitiation for our sins. Another way to say that is he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John chapter two, uh, verse one and two, my little children, I'm writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, so Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all that would come to believe in his name. Um, so, but he had to be God in the flesh to atone for sins. Otherwise, he couldn't carry the weight of the sin of the world. Does that make sense? He has to be God in the flesh. He has to be who he claims to be. The fourth thing he, for the imputation of righteousness or for God to credit righteousness on our account, Jesus had to be God in the flesh. And here's where we see that. Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 21 through 22a uh, says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So the righteousness of God is given to us through the account of Jesus Christ. Christ means he's the Messiah, the sent one of God. He is God, you know. So through Jesus, we, we receive righteousness on our account. Is this good news or what? That, that someone broken our whole life? I know for me, I've, uh, you know, I, I probably lived in a lot of ways what people would consider was a good life 
um, by earthly standards, but if we're talking about the standard of heaven, which is perfection, only Jesus could live that out. So when I look to Jesus in faith, he removes my brokenness by fulfilling the law and dying in my place as my propitiation. And then he credits his righteousness on my account, making me look as perfect as Jesus in the eyes of the Father. Is that good news or what? The fact that there's nothing in me, but it's only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ that all who would believe in him would be restored to the Father through the goodness and the grace of our Savior, Jesus. And, it's, and what compelled him to do that is his humility. What compelled him to, to love the world, to die in our place, is the fact that he was selfless enough to give his life for us. Um. Worship team, you can come up here as I close out. You know, we see in this in this passage a lot of decisions being made uh, by Jesus. You know, that his incarnation, his crucifixions, uh, crucifixion, these were products of his mind or of his mindset. You see decisions made throughout the passage, like he didn't didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He decided. Uh, to be born in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself, humbled himself. We see these different decisions that he made out of this mindset that we're to imitate. But verse 9 opens up by saying, therefore. And I think it's interesting because we see throughout Scripture this biblical principle that whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And we get done reading in six through eight, the great humility of our savior. And in verse nine, it opens by saying, therefore, because of this great humility you see in the life of Jesus, the father has highly exalted him. He's given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. I think I jumbled it up. Sorry if it's on the screens behind me and you're like, wait, what? But God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name that's above every name. Based on his humility, the father responds in exaltation. And we're told that if we live this life of humility, we'll be exalted. But here's the problem. I think that we don't believe that all the time because we think that exaltation from God, for me living to serve Jesus, then my financial crisis should disappear. My, my health problems I've been dealing with for years should be gone by now. You know, you said you exalt the humble. Well, I'm humbling myself. I'm serving you. I'm leading my family to love and obey you. And I'm still dealing with all this. I think we misunderstand the exaltation of God. I think we misunderstand because when it says that Jesus was raised up, really that exaltation was he, he was brought into a place uh, by the Father's side. And I think maybe exaltation is about proximity, not about our present circumstances. I, th- I think that if we're exalted by God and not by the world's standards, then, then the proximity that we have to Jesus and experiencing the fullness of joy and peace and love that comes with walking a, a life close to him will be our fuel to face any situation and do it in the likeness and the character and in the mindset of Jesus because as we humble ourselves, we're being exalted by God. Yeah, my world might still be a mess right now, but I have the spirit of Christ living in me and I get to walk it out with him by my side. And his joy 
can't be quenched. His peace can't be removed from me because it's mine in Christ because of what he's done. So if you're here today and you haven't received Christ, you don't know what it is to even enter into this relationship. We just read of the gospel, a God that loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. That through believing in him, simple faith, you don't have to walk it all out. You don't have to pray a specific prayer. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to do any of that. In your seat right now, if you believe the gospel, you've been reconciled to God because it's that simple because he paid the full price for you.